Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Brian J. Rowan coming to you up top to let you know that I had some technical difficulties during this recording. Uh, apparently, during hiatus, my computer forgot how to recognize my microphone and my mixer. So we rolled with it as best we could using the internal audio on my laptop. I've done some work in post-production. I think it still sounds pretty good. But obviously, I wanted to come on here first and let you know, clearly, my microphone has been fixed. So the next time we're in your ears talking about Priscilla, you can expect my usual dulcet tones. So hope that's all right with you and uh, enjoy the episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Rob and Barr. Woo-hoo. And with us to discuss the newest film by director Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon, we have Ross Lincoln, the night editor with The Wrap. How are you doing Hello. today, Ross? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastically. Um, super excited to have you here as we return from our hiatus to once more talk about movies. Um, before we get Yay. into all that, yes. <laughs> uh, Ross, would you like to do a little more introduction of yourself for our listening audience? Yeah, I, you, it, you can find my work at The Wrap. Uh, before I was with The Wrap, I was with Deadline. I've written for video game websites and uh, like back, The Escapist back in the day. I used to work for Box Office. But I've been with The Wrap since 2017, and that's where you can find me now. That is awesome. I used to read The Escapist all the time. Yeah, it got ruined by Gamergate. And yeah, like so many things. <laughs> I, I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, I was actually I was actually part of the, uh, the big uh, bloodbath that happened at the beginning of 2015 when they basically let go of everybody and then replaced them with a bunch of, like, you know, uh, jobbers from the more right-wing corners of the internet and then the site died and you you can you can delete all that horrible things i just said about the escapists but they were (laughs) if you'd like me to i will but otherwise i'm leaving it in no please do i i I don't have great feelings for it it was a bad experience yeah it sounds like it um i'm very sorry to hear that uh it sucks when a job ends that way uh let's talk about the opposite of that yeah Uh, Briefly, I wanted to let people know that uh, Bill Graham will not be returning to the podcast, at least not as a regular contributor. Um, He has decided to step back to take care of some things. But also, you will be able to find more of his work on thefilmstage.com as he returns to his first love, which is interviewing people and writing up those interviews, as he talked about many, many times on this podcast. So we were going to miss Bill. Uh, hopefully this means that we'll be a little more streamlined, a little more swift. Um, I don't know. Robin, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Bill. I always thought that, uh, he brought, you know, a lot of humor and, you know, sometimes you and I can be at loggerheads, um, (laughs) in a way, in a a very loving way, I think, you know, but, uh, Bill was a great mediator in some ways. And so we're just going to have to rely on our poor guests to, um, be the peacekeepers. I know, yeah. without a resistance barrier between us, uh, yeah. the catalysts chaos. are going to catalyze. Um, I will say <laughs> that if you miss Bill, uh, you can still find him mixing it up in the Slack channel. He's still around, so go and find him. And uh, don't forget to follow him at Billstagram on Instagram, where you can see pictures of his adorable dog. And, and uh, his meat. Yeah, I was about to say, and all of his incredible food. 
Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be very disappointed if this hasn't descended into personal insults being lobbed against each other by you guys before the end of this. <laughs> oh, it will. We'll have to see how wrong Robin is. That's what we're going to have to do. Um, <laughs> so, oh, man, it's already started, hasn't it? Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but uh, We haven't done this in a while, so I might be rusty. But you can find us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, The Filmstage Show. Email us, podcastfilmstage.com. And, of course, uh, go to patreon.com slash show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel where we have sequestered Bill. So if you'd like to talk <laughs> to him, you can find him there. And, of course, you can find us talking about video games and books and movies and all kinds of manner of shit. And we are also brought to you, fine folks, by Mubi. Um, as I said at the top, this episode is brought to you by Mubi. It's a curated streaming service that's dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. Um, in fact, the Gotham Awards... They just released their nominations today. And a movie from Movie was on there. Did you see that, Robin? Uh, I haven't read through my note, the, uh, the news today, so sorry. It's Passages. What was it? Oh, shit. Have you seen Passages yet? I keep... it. It's, like, on my list, and I keep crossing off other things from the summer. Like, we watch Elemental, you know, we watch Bottoms, and it's just, like... One of the very last ones, it's like that in Passive Fiction, are the, the very last ones I need to see. Um, but now I have more motivation to do it. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So if you uh, were to go on movie right now, you could watch Passages. It's a movie release. Three lovers spin in a vortex of pent-up desire and resentment in Iris Sachs's fresh, honest, and acerbically funny take on messy modern relationships. That started out with me reading like a thriller and then started to go towards rom-com. And I don't know why. Just like its dynamic leads, this refreshingly fluid relationship drama simply oozes sex appeal. Um, As we get ready for... (laughs) Were you laughing at me? (laughs) No, I'm like, ooze. It's just like, it gloops sex appeal. Yeah, just a thick sludge of sex appeal. Viscous. Um, As we get ready for Yorgos Lanthimos' latest, uh, you can also go on movie and watch one of his shorts from 2019. It's Nimic. The encounter of a professional cellist and family man with a stranger on a subway has unexpected and far-reaching consequences on his life. So check that out as well. And if you would like to do all that without paying for any of it for the first 30 days, you can go to movie.com slash filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage. Uh, we... We have a lot to talk about with Coast of the Flower Moon. Uh, I know we've been gone for like one and a half to two months. Um, so I'm going to give Robin and me 30 seconds each to update people on what's happening in our lives. Robin, how are you doing? Good. I have a lot of travel coming up. I'm looking forward to it. We had to pivot kind of quickly after uh, another trip got postponed due to world events. So we are going to go to London and I'm very happy. And nice. uh, it's almost my birthday and I'm going to be Anne Boleyn for Halloween. Um, <laughs> what else is going on? <laughs> yeah, movies have been not so great recently. Uh, at least the movies that I've seen from this year, I'm just kind of like, when am I going to see a good one? Um, yeah. 
But then I did see one. Spoiler alert. I like the movie. Yay. <laughs> we're going to um, talk about it. As for me, um, I watched Elemental finally. I really, really liked it. It made me cry. Um, I watched Last Voyage of the Demeter. Perfectly serviceable B-movie. Really liked Didn't it. Didn't make you cry. Did not make me cry. No. Um, I watched No One Will Save You, the alien oh, yeah. abduction that drama. That was a very fun movie. That's on Hulu. I was Check scared. Hmm? I was a scared. Oh, yeah. So was I. It was very effectively creepy. I think uh, anyone looking for a cool, spooky thing to watch this uh, Halloween should check it out. Um, I'm also running for city council. And I uh, early voting starts tomorrow. So by the time this is released, well, no, because we still have like another week of early voting and then the actual election day. So follow me on all the social media on November 6th. You all know if I'm the Honorable Brian J. Rowan or just the normal awesome Brian J. Rowan. How do you have time between your regular job, being a single father, yeah. owning a home, uh-huh. being a dog dad, yep. owning a distillery, uh-huh. and having a podcast? Like, how are you also going to be a politician? We're going to find out. <laughs> it sounds to me like you already have the infrastructure necessary to create a political machine. Just all you need to do is link all those disparate parts of your life into a single place. Yes. So with, I have, I have, people have asked the thing that Robin asked and i my response has been great question. Cause Robin, you also forgot volunteering for the church and the school, all of my daughter's extracurricular activities and the fact that I'm already on the board of the North, whatever the, the citizens association for my part of this city. I don't so, trust what a citizens association is. It's, it's <laughs> like association. It's, it's, it's not as scary as it sounds. We basically just like try to organize parties. It's like a social thing. Republican parties? No, like cookouts. Okay. <laughs> watch parties for the neighborhood? No, we're not like a, a city watch thing. Um, okay. No, that'd be, that, well, I was about to say that'd be fun though, but really it'd just be cold and annoying because like the worst that happens here is people leaving their cars unlocked and getting their iPhones stolen. Anyway, so that's everything that's going on with us. Let's get to the cut, by the way. Wait, what was that? That was a deep cut, by the way. Thanks. I got that reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's cut to the chase. Let's go to the main event. Uh, that is our review of Killers of the Flower Moon. This, of course, is the newest film by director Martin Scorsese, uh, based on the novel, or not the novel, the uh, well, the nonfiction, nonfiction. novel by David Grant, <laughs> and <The> starring. <laughs> Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, amongst a bevy of other fine actors, and here is part of the trailer. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have to say who gets the oil. All right. So that is part of the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon. This movie out in theaters now, the widest release that Martin Scorsese has ever got, even though it clocks in at a Twitter breaking three and a half hours. 
Um, I'm going to read the synopsis uh, from IMDb. Let's see how this goes. When oil's discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. That is close to being true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, And we, of course, will abide by the usual law of the podcasting jungle. We'll begin with our spoiler-free thoughts and then move into spoilers. This is a real-life historical event that is based off of a very popular nonfiction novel, so I don't even know what spoilers count as. You can just assume every minute you listen brings you closer to finding out something you might not already know. So that's that. Let's begin with our nutshell overall overarching thoughts. Ross Lincoln, what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, as a as an Okie, I'm originally from Oklahoma. As an Okie, I, I thought it was uh, it made Oklahoma look really beautiful and and also kind of creepy, which I feel like is Oklahoma's vibe on a lot of ways. I mean, it's and the movie Oklahoma. Uh, you know, actually, th- ironically, the movie Oklahoma does not accurately portray Oklahoma in any way. Well, that's uh, other than the fact mind. that <laughs> Oklahomans are well known for breaking out into songs at the drop of a hat. I digress. <laughs> Um, no, you know, it's Martin Scorsese and he knows how to, you know, do the things that make movies movies, but I found it to be a very frustrating experience. I think the, uh, decision to center the, the perpetrators of the crimes while also treating their involvement ambiguous for the first half of the movie, um, and not to center in particular, uh, Molly, but also, and that's Lily Gladstone's character in any meaningful way, we don't ever get to see her internal life at all. Uh, I think it's a detriment to it. It's, it's exceptionally well-made. It looks beautiful. Um, and I think it really sort of missed the ball in terms of it, it, especially informing the people who see this movie about what was the, what was happening there? Why was it happening? And who were the people committing these crimes and who were the people that were having the crimes committed against them? All in all, I didn't like it. All right. Robin Barr. Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation because I felt quite revved up while I was watching it. Um, Possibly maybe the second best movie I've seen all year. And maybe that speaks more to the movies I have seen of 2023 or from 2023. Um, I'm sure I'll see many more good movies as the year closes out. Um, I found it pretty exhilarating. And I actually don't disagree with Ross's comments about the way the movie is centered i think that there are definitely there are definitely flaws in in making uh you know the perpetrators of a crime more of the epicenter of a film um while also turning the victims of the crime into you know characters that are a little bit on the flatter side so i i certainly don't disagree yeah. I, at the same time i found it unfortunately pretty exhilarating to watch you know just as a crime drama um it's it's a three and a half hour long movie yet in some ways for me it felt like two hours where the irishman which is about the same length felt like five hours um so maybe that speaks more to the the themes of this this film resonating more for me um, as well I, as your incredible hatred of Italians. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I am not married to an Italian man. Um, <laughs> and I've been to Italy many times. Um, I was a little bit frustrated by 
Robert De Niro's performance, and we'll talk more about that. But I, he is of course getting a lot of awards buzz, and he's you know it's considered maybe one of his better uh, later career performances. I found him so slick and so De Niro ish that I had a hard time believing that the character was somebody that wasn't considered a suspect for so long. And of course we'll, we'll get more into the the plot, but um, he really kind of took me out of the movie in a way that I felt much closer to Lily Gladstone's character. And then you can argue there, there wasn't a lot for her to do for about half of the film because she's in a particular state of being that is a lot of like, I don't know, being sweaty. And we'll talk about that too. But at least the first half of her performance, I, I was really taken with her and her delivery. And, and she has a sort of huskiness to her, um, an, an earthiness that I just found very hard to look away. I don't know if anybody's ever seen her performance in Reservation Dogs, which is a very, almost a cameo in some way. It's a very, you know, one or two episode uh, type of role. And yet she was so incredibly memorable in that in that show. And I think she brought some of those same sort of uh, well-worn qualities to this character, even though I I agree that she could have, her character, Molly, could have been a little more fleshed out. Um, You know, it's a a movie that I think does put a lot of care into how it's portraying the the Osage people. And at the same time, it's never going to be enough. And I... And I agree with that. And there are some native actors who have spoken out about the movie. Um, even the, the consultant for the film, um, the Osage consultant was talking about how they have complicated feelings about what, what their work has wrought. And I think the actor, Devery Jacobs, who's also on Reservation Dogs, you know, she described it as very painful to watch um, native people be murdered even, you know, just so callously on film. And you know, she described that as hellfire. And I, I also, you know, I've had similar thoughts about Holocaust films and how um, that pain is so, so trenchant um, that I can understand where that's coming from. So I I definitely see and agree with a lot of the critiques. um, And yet as a piece of art, I couldn't help but admire the movie. Um, Yeah, I, I, I walked out uncertain how I felt about this movie. It was, I, I found, I, I still watch the Irishman just whenever I feel like it, because to me, it's an incredibly propulsive, entertaining, just, I don't know, delightful is a weird word for it. But it's got so much panache behind it that, like, to me, it feels much shorter than, like, an episode of, uh, I don't know, House of Cards or something. Like, it, it's it's just so Anything good. Anything will feel shorter than an episode of House of Cards, <laughs> to be fair. Accurate, accurate. We all used to love that show, if everyone remembers. Um, we did. It's bizarre. And yet I look back <laughs> and I'm like, what was on, what was my brain doing? I'm proud of myself for being frustrated with that show's portrayal of journalism. The second they introduced that whole plot line in season one, I thought the only thing they got right is when um, I cannot remember which one of the Mara sisters is on that show. Is it Kate? Kate. It's Kate. Kate. Thank you. So when Kate joins the... Uh, the new 
uh, that she gets her new job at that Slug line. DC area paper. Yeah. yeah. And she goes to the seasoned reporter played by one of our great character actresses whose name escapes me. Please forgive me. I'm a worshiper of your work. Um, the, the only the thing they got right there was when she goes, she introduces herself to the senior reporter and she's like, I'm ready to help. And the senior reporter's like, I don't have time to help you become a journalist. Get out of my way. And, and I have literally experienced moments like that. So that was like an A plus, but otherwise uh, I was like thumbs down on its ridiculous way that it was, Treating journalism, but otherwise, yes, I mean, the, like, it, like the it. treats Congress just as ridiculous. It literally treats oh, making ribs as ridiculously. Like I don't okay. know, you don't go to Putin. That. Well, Does anybody subject, remember that? Wait, well, while we're on the subject, <laughs> can I ask you guys a question? What is it with like Shonda Rice shows or Shonda Rice, Shonda Rhimes shows, and also House of Cards, where it's like this alternate universe where it's like you know the the anti-war progressive taxation guy is a Republican. In the mm-hmm. House of Cards universe, and I realize that like Kevin Spacey's character is a Southern Democrat, and they are a weird animal. But like he's basically running as a mainstream Republican through the entire show. Anyway, that's all. I don't. Yeah, know when he becomes president, he's like a line between the Shonda Rhimes universe and the and or, or like scandal per se and yeah. uh, House of Cards. Like, and yet I weirdly found House of Cards or um, scandal like more believable or like more realistic maybe because of the, the trump years happened right after that and i'm like oh, yeah. oh like scandal is like a more well, should, yeah <laughs> it understands how human relationships actually work and house yeah. of cards seem to be invented by people who studied human relationships in cliff notes form through wikipedia and then wrote a show yeah, yeah, it's I like, know. oh, I've seen my friends hook up. I think I know how this works. But like, yeah. <laughs> aka me all throughout college. <laughs> yes, it's like if college age Robin Barr tried to write uh, political romance stuff. Yeah, yeah. What were we talking about? Um, right. Yeah, I love the Irishman. <laughs> oh yeah, that. <laughs> Not even this. This movie. I never checked my watch. I was never bored, for instance. But I was not entertained but i'm pretty sure the movie didn't want me to be so i think that's okay um the more i've thought about it and the more that i have read criticism of it the more i've actually grown to like it because almost every time i've read criticism of it my reaction has been that's the goddamn point um mm. so like i i i have not read the book by david grand but its subtitle is like something about the origins of the fbi so clearly, at one point, this was going to be like a swaggering FBI agent walks into the middle of a situation and figures everything out. And they, they mixed it up during COVID. I'm sorry, what was that? They mixed it up during COVID. Oh, well, uh, good for them. <laughs> Leo was apparently originally going to play the character that was ultimately played by Jesse Plemons. Hmm. That makes that's, sense. That's why they got another blonde. <laughs> We've already done the lighting tests. He needs to have light hair. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's so so the pivot to like, hey, we're going to just like watch this conspiracy unfold is interesting. It it is it is that kind of thing, though, where like I'm watching this movie and I'm just waiting for who appears to be the protagonist to do anything good. And he doesn't, Um, which in the watching was very frustrating, but in the retrospect has been one of the more interesting and edifying things to turn over in my head. Um, so I've, I actually, I came out of this being like, eh, it was like a minor, it was B, but then I'm like, if it, if it sustained me for three and a half hours and I can't stop thinking about it. And every time I see someone voicing a negative opinion, 
I'm countering it in my head. I no, I think it's actually an incredible movie. <laughs> I think it's really, really good. I think it's remarkable. I'm gonna have a lot of fun talking about this question of which characters are centered and which are not, and yeah. and kind of the perspective that we're getting. Because I think a lot of that boils down to is Martin Scorsese trying to give dignity to someone or is he trying to damn and condemn someone and who is that person and which is the more effective story and um i'm looking forward to chatting about it so let's do that (laughs) yeah i think it's a good question ross i would love to um because you kind of started off saying like well you know as an oki um do you have insight as a local into the situation or what the lives of well, you know osage people are are like now so the thing about oklahoma and i don't want to paint it with too broad of a brush it's a pretty big state not as many people not a lot of people but you know there, there are differences and i i love you oklahoma but um i will say that like uh, it has a vile history of incredible racism that got thrown down the, the memory hole after it happened, the 1920s were insane. You know, they date the the Osage, the, the mur- Osage murders. Like they think the first one started happening in like 1918, but it didn't start getting attention until one month. And I mean like almost to the day after the Tulsa massacre happened. Like these things are occurring in the exact same sort of milieu. And these are also things that I learned half-heartedly i'll say growing up i heard references to what they used to call the tulsa race riot or the indian killings and they were just elided by teachers um black friends of mine their family lore was a little more detailed about what the tulsa quote race massacre unquote actually was but it wasn't until the 90s i'm in high school and then i'm in college yep i'm young and uh (laughs) when they're really starting to like examine these events and try to figure out what really happened. I mean, like, obviously in the case of Hale, the character played by Robert De Niro, that was a public trial. He went to jail. The records are out there, but everyone just sort of forgot it happened. And so for me, I sort of had my eyes open as an adult human thinker learning about these two horrific tragedies and what they actually mean. And and you sort of get a picture in your head of how they're linked by the white supremacist culture that very much existed at the time. And so watching this film as an Oklahoman, I feel like it, 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 it's weird like that. There's an atmosphere that feels like it's kind of capturing that, like for lack of a better way, the bless your heart kind of racism. You know what I mean? A lot of really good Christians who also really hate with their whole hearts and uh, a lot of real slimy people that are just willing to do whatever it takes. And, and it also kind of felt if you've ever spent much time in Oklahoma, it, a lot of it looks exactly like a lot of this movie looks. It captured the way the emptiness and the big sky and the sort of like weird, everything's remote. And then all of a sudden you're driving through a town and there's like just one long strip of downtown and it, and then it's plains and pastures again. I realize I'm getting a lot of big picture things. Cause what I really did during the movie, where I was listening to accents is one of the things that no one ever gets right about accents. Like whenever you have a movie set in the South anywhere and yes, Oklahoma is the South. Um, <laughs> they think that the whole region sounds like Scarlett O'Hara, you know? Mm-hmm. So like if you've seen a, um, what's what the movie that has Meryl Streep, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, 
August, so August Osage, Osage County. Thank you. Yeah, Meryl Streep practically sounds like she's like I declare. Well, Meryl okay. Streep's a terrible actress. So <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, hey, whoa! <laughs> I will die on this hill forever. Her thing is always just to be like ah. <laughs> <laughs> And she gonna, throws her head back. Yes. We're going to revisit yeah. this because I am all about <laughs> t- turning sacred cows into hamburgers. Um, uh, but her accent yeah, is hilarious in that movie. <laughs> I feel like the accents in this movie were incredible. Like the variation of them. They like they really kind of res- they really kind of displayed people's class or the class that people want to present. Uh, the level of relative education the way that uh, slick talking rich people sound, the way that like redneck sound. I feel like the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that gets the accent game this right is King of the Hill. Mm. That's <laughs> Texas, the, right? Yeah, it is. That North Texas. And my headcanon, by the way, Mike Judge, if you're listening, please email me. My headcanon is that Boomhauer is actually from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can see it. It's that like Leo DiCaprio when he wasn't sounding like his the one accent he's capable of doing, he would get into this like, <laughs> hey, you know, just walking down the street, just talking to a guy over there, you know what? Just dangle, dangle, just walk on. I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> Leo as full Boomhauer. You know, I realize I'm digressing here, but a long time ago, like 2005, I was dating a girl. She went back to Oklahoma with me for the first time. We went into a liquor store to get some wine. I get into a conversation with the bar with the guy who owns the shop. We're talking about the state of liquor laws in Oklahoma and what he can sell, what he can't. We have a really enlightening conversation. And when we leave, the girl I was with was like, "What the hell did that guy say?" Oh and no! Like, she it was apparently like like all she heard was and I was like C three PO in Jabba's palace, just translating. <laughs> right. So what's anyway, funny is. I, I had to do that with my ex-wife before she was my ex-wife when we went to like one of my infant daughter's checkups because the doctor down here in the D.C. area was like from New York. And so oh. he and I were able to speak very quickly to one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the end of it, my wife was like, OK, so clearly you got everything, which is great, because <laughs> I have no idea what he just told me to do with my daughter. Wow. <laughs> it's important in accents like especially back before the rise of mass media kind of smoothed over the rough edges of American accents. Mm-hmm. They, they really matter. And like, you know, it's, we have much larger regions than say, you know, England, but um, we do have like regions of American accents with minor vary and major variations within them. And it's nice to see that the actors in this movie really put a lot of work into it. And they clearly hired some local actors too. Um, and, and, and that, and so there was not, it felt real. Does that make sense? Yeah. I absolutely. think that there was also a gift of the, not just the major casting, but the supporting characters and the supporting actors, yeah. because they, they really uh, enriched the movie for me. Like I, I was talking about this with my husband. I was like, yeah, you know, Leo consistent, uh, obviously wasn't that into De Niro's character, but like, I always like seeing Plemons. I always like seeing John Lithgow. I always like seeing, uh, you know, Brendan Fraser, even though there's probably like a whole conversation to be had about that performance. Um, I don't, I, I do not understand why Brendan Fraser has become a flashpoint in this movie when he is the best part of it. <laughs> I liked it, but a lot of people I talked to hated that scene. A lot of um, people are dumb as shit, Robin. <laughs> well, okay. Spoiler alert. There is a Brendan Fraser. Sorry, everybody. Um, it's well, great too, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god, I, he's fantastic. I, we'll get into it, but 
it, it was the actors that I unfortunately don't know their names where I was just totally blown away. Like the yeah. um, woman who plays uh, Molly's sister, Anna, I loved her performance. There was a gentleman who ends up confessing toward the end of the movie who has a sort of, you know, a, a hominess and earthiness to him that I really, really cherished. Um, just some of these smaller parts where, you know what? Okay. I'll say this, you know, what was great about this movie is that no one was beautiful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I say that in, in such a glib way, but obviously, you know, the, the women who are playing the the four main sisters, like they're beautiful women, but they're not these like Hollywood skinny, um, you know, model looking people that they, other, that otherwise would have cast or been cast by any other yeah. director or team. They mm-hmm. were people who look real. They have faces. It was like watching British television. It was like, finally, there's something for my face to my, my eyes to like glance at, you know, people with character in their, in their looks, um, including Leo in that, like he, he and Jesse Plemons could be brothers, honestly, in, in this movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. Leo's and, teeth are all fucked up too. Oh and, yeah. I mean, that's obviously prosthetic. Well, but. yeah. Yo, I didn't think that he like went and got someone to hit him with a hammer or something. I'm just saying like, they yeah, did a good absolutely. job. Absolutely. And like, okay, can I just say, and this is, and I say this is a fat person, but why does Brendan Fraser look fatter in this movie than he did the whale? <laughs> I don't know if that was also prosthetics, but like, I was just kind of surprised about that. I um, I was like, oh, this must still be whale weight. And then I was like, wait a second. Wait. It's just like, did no. the timelines add up? Like, <laughs> was, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, when did he film this? Did he put, like, how much weight did he put on for the whale before the prosthetics? Like, what was, what was the story here? He's a big yeah. man. He fills up that lens. And yeah, and, and, and he's just he's I think he's wonderful in the movie. And I don't care if it was comic relief, like because honestly, this the trailer for this movie made this movie seem like it was going to be much funnier than it was. It made it seem like it was going to be um Wolf of Wall Street, but yes. you know, 1920s. And that was not the tone of the movie. There it's it also far made deep it... between to have a laugh. Hey, and so hey, I I'm gonna interrupt you really fast. Do. Um I can answer your question. Just Go from a second ago. So principal photography on this, on um, Killers of the Flower Moon uh, took place approximately um, from uh, April 19th, April of 2021 through uh, October. And principal photography on The Whale was March 8th through April 7th, 2021. So I think that there is a uh, strong chance that it is, he was literally in his whale weight during that. Yeah, okay. okay. I thought it was honestly prosthetics because he just really didn't even look like himself, uh, even as a bigger man or later career Brendan Fraser. But anyway, I mean, I, he brought a like a a levity to this movie that was needed. Um, yes, I think that the, the the movie takes you on a journey through evil, <laughs> and I think that he represents. The, that more flashy part of it like the 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 showmanship that allows these people to get away with this nonsense because when you have so, like john lithgow is here basically playing the the character that he played in the first season of perry mason whose name escapes me it's eb something or whatever yeah. um but you know just like a very like old man john lithgow like i am a lawyer and i take my job seriously and this is all very important and then brendan fraser just smashes through the wall 
Yeah. And just like you can just even from the way that the camera is moving, like it's dead on for John Lithgow. It's stolid, normal. And then Brendan Fraser, low angle, rotating the goddamn mm-hmm. flag behind him, just being like, oh, this is the best that the United States government has? Well, watch this, motherfucker. And he and just... you can hear Lithgow before you ever see him, and that's the beauty of, of that framing, because mm-hmm. for me, and I'm a big Lithgow fan, when I hear his voice, I started tearing up. I don't know if I was like premenstrual or something but i that just got me where i was like like grandpa's home like daddy's here and he's gonna save us like that right there's something so comforting it's it's i don't know how to describe it because it's not like oaken it's not velvet there's just a texture to his voice Mm -hmm. that lends like toffee and warm tea man it's just like it's credibility yeah thespian this man has got you And then it's like, oh, yeah, we're now in the world of the sane. And this man has morals. And this man is like, you know, like I just keep saying, like solid and totally fine. And then Brendan Fraser comes in and is like, I'm the devil you didn't even realize you still had to deal with. (laughs) And I am flashy. And I am I am I am destroying the illusion of certainty and stability that John Lithgow has created as a means of once again getting this fucking worm of a human being, Ernest, to mm. turn coat again. Because yeah. Ernest is, of course, going to be drawn to the most powerful personality in the room. And unfortunately for Ernest, he's never going to be the most powerful personality in a room. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. He, he, that was an interesting... We're we're all getting we're getting into some super spoilers, guys. Oh yeah, yeah fuck well, it. We're I, I in it now. Spoilers. <laughs> I was like, it. you know, we're we're just in it right now. Why don't so Why question, don't we give a yeah. if I if I can before you remember what you're about to say after you say what you're about to say maybe we should like give a a sketch of what happens in the movie just so the yeah. Did you follow. read the the IMDb logline? I don't Me? think you did. Brian. Yes, I yeah. did. Yeah, did? I made a joke about it. I said it was yeah. like seventy percent correct. Correct, yeah. Okay, I apologize. I didn't wow. remember that. Robin, wow. Sorry. It's I, been well, you often do it. I mean, you, I... <laughs> wow. You know? Okay, so what happens in the movie? Um, Leo's character is sort of a, a sludge brain. He comes back from World War One and he goes to work for his rich-ass uncle, who's a cattle... Uh, I don't want to say like a cattle mogul in Baron? Oklahoma. Cattle Baron. He's a cattle yeah, exactly. Baron. Okay, same idea. Uh, cattle Baron. And this guy is uh, has positioned himself. This Robert De Niro character has positioned himself as the uh, as a friend to the Osage people, um, as they are, you know, being uh, the, as their position in society has moved up or elevated due to their wealth. Um, but he is, you know, quote unquote, secretly their enemy and plotting their murders and trying to get the head rights to their oil. And he employs his sludge-brained nephew to uh, not only carry out these deeds one by one, which is beating people up, arranging murders, get hiring hitmen, but also he instructs one of them, uh, him to marry one of these wealthy young women, um, one of whom is, is named Molly Kyle. She's played by Lily Gladstone. And, uh, and I guess the question or the crux of the movie for me is... Um, does Ernest really love 
Molly um, because he's basically instructed to kill her. His uncle manipulates him multiple times over and over saying, well, she's sickly. She has diabetes. You're helping her find peace. You know, they're giving her, she's one of the few people in the whole world who has access to insulin because of, of her wealth. And because this is the 1920s, um, and yet she's also being slowly poisoned at the same time. So does Ernest really know what he's doing? Is has is he hiding from himself? Is he lying to himself? Does he truly find, does he truly have a love marriage? Because there are times in this movie where you really can feel some chemistry between Leo and Lee Gladstone. And she, and for an actor who is known to only date young women who are like 22 years old and then chucks them immediately. He did have real chemistry with this woman who is not super skinny and not a young model. Um, You know, you can, I think you can really feel the, uh, the excitement between them. Um, Is it all for show? Uh, You know, there are times later in the movie where he finds out, you know, things have happened to his family and, and tragic things have happened to his, you know, his wife or his, uh, his children, and you you can see there is sorrow there. So I think this goes back to your question, Ross, of like, is he just only able to hear the last argument? Um, you know, will somebody swayed by the the loudest voice in the room? Um, is there genuine feeling between him and his wife, uh, despite you know, is he is he one of those classic abusive husbands who just hurts somebody saying, "Well, I'm doing this because I love you." This is where. I think the, it was a mistake of the movie for people who have seen it. Non-spoiler alert for everyone else. Spoiler. The movie treats the, the scam. So what was happening for those of you who haven't read the book or seen the movie yet is that they, uh, after the defeat of the various Native American tribes during the 1800s and the gradual corralling them in what would become the state of Oklahoma, there were more laws that were passed to sort of manage them. They were considered not ready for civilization. You can see how racist this is. This is during the period, for instance, when children are being taken away from their parents and forced into uh, white schools. And they're not even white schools. They're like church schools. I was like raised the boarding pre- schools. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly like the boarding schools. I was raised Presbyterian and the summer camp I went to, my beloved summer camp that I had so many good times at, um, Dwight Mission, right outside of Vianne, Oklahoma. And uh, they would say, oh, this was an Indian school back in the day, Cherokee in this case. Nope, this is where kidnapped children went to have their language and religion taken away from them. And one of the laws that they passed, I believe they passed one in 1908 and then another one in 1921, basically said, if you are more than um, half Native American, obviously they've introduced that racist blood quantum bullshit into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're more than, if you're half or greater Native American blood, you are legally required to have a white guardian to manage your affairs for you. It was a form of conservatorship. And so that happens at that. There's one version of that that's passed in like 1908. Again, look this up guys. I might be wrong, but it's sometime around there. And then another one that gets passed later on in between those two times, they discovered a lot of oil all over Oklahoma, especially in Osage County. And so these, these members of the tribe were making, incredibly huge amounts of money that they often could not even touch. And uh, well, if you get a white guardian um, who is unethical and does everything they can to sign away to, to like get themselves in control of someone's vast oil wealth, they can start siphoning it off for themselves, start doing whatever they want with it. And so what the scam was, was they were 
getting themselves through various means by hook and crook, they were getting themselves like signed on to have what they called head rights to manage this money. And then they'd murdered the people that they got the rights from, at which point um, they would then not technically not actually control it because it was supposed to be native American, but they are now pretty much firmly in control of it. Um, and so what Robert De Niro's people are doing in this movie is they are, they're either killing people outright or they're doing like marriage scams and, and gradually killing them Munchausen by proxy over time. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, hopefully I've explained it very well that in 1925, I believe Congress passed a law that said that head rights of this kind could not transfer to anyone, but another member of the tribe as a means of like, hopefully stopping these murders from happening. But that's basically what's going on. It's a mm -hmm. scam. Um, it's pretty horrible. Hopefully I explained that. Sorry for babbling. No, no. no that, that, perfect. So in the movie, one of the things I find really frustrating about it is that we meet, we are introduced to the whole thing by Leonardo DiCaprio arriving in Fairfax, Oklahoma. A fun point, if you look on the map of Osage County, which is gigantic, um, if you look about five, 10 miles north of Fairfax, there's a little town called Burbank, Oklahoma, just like Hollywood. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, he arrives in Fairfax, Oklahoma, and for the first 45 minutes or so, this movie is treating his involvement in this crime and Robert De Niro's true intentions as ambiguous. And even after the, we, it is gradually revealed the extent of like wrongdoing that Leo and, and, and Robert De Niro are involved with, it's still euphemized about, it's still sort of treated am, ambiguously. And, and the, but the problem is we know that it's them uh, through various other ways. I feel like it would have worked better if we had never actually seen the movie from their point of view. Like if it was all about, okay, Lily Gladstone's character, mm -hmm. we get, she's the main POV character. And so we get some insight into how she fell for such an obvious con artist. Like when you see things from Leo's point of view, you know, he's kind of running the scam and it never makes sense that he manages to convince her to marry him. You don't re really learn anything about who she was before they, before they met, like what we find out who her family was, but we don't know anything other than what we see her tell other people. And meanwhile, we get a lot of insight into Leo, which is why the ambiguity that Robin referred to um, carries through the entire movie. Like what are his motivations? I think um, that only works if we never actually uh, know for sure until it's revealed by law enforcement. And I found it very frustrating. Uh, so, go ahead. What's interesting to me about that is, is I, I don't know that he is a con man. I, I think that, I think that, it's very obvious what Robert De Niro's character um, Hale is doing. And, and part of the tension of the movie is knowing that like Ernest Leonardo DiCaprio's character really does like Molly. He, he like enjoys spending time with her yeah. and, and you've got William Hale that has been like dripping poison in his ear, like kind of like throwing water balloons of poison at him and just being like, you know, Hey, have you thought about like marrying one of these women? And Ernest is like, Oh, this guy like thinks it'd be all right if I married this girl that I like. And it's, it's the, it's the aspect that kind of, you're just spending the whole movie, especially if you're me who had no idea how all this ended, hoping that he just does the right fucking thing at some point, like that. It's just, that it's going to turn because I don't think that he's a con man. I, I legitimately think that he through dimness 
or whatever aspect of his crooked soul yeah is is just able to compartmentalize and to take all of these things that people are saying and just accept them i mean you know you say we don't get a look at molly's interior life but like there are scenes of her talking to other people um specifically about Ernest, and she yeah. she calls him a coyote they're like no he's a snake and she's like no He's not clever I mean, enough I, to be a snake. I, like, I, I he's a coyote. He's he's greedy. That's fine. And he he's wants handsome. to settle down. And he's <laughs> yeah, and he's handsome. And like he wants Go ahead. But it's still it's still treating her, in my opinion, with a distance that they don't treat the criminal characters in this movie. Yeah, that's we see interesting, that scene. I don't I don't I, I it I guess it's just a different way that we've internalized that because I felt incredibly yeah. close to her through the entire movie. And I felt more of a distance to him just because it's like, how would you be such a fucking moron? Like <laughs> I'm going to argue that, okay, maybe he's not a con artist in the sense that he's running the con, but um, especially in this time of America, uh, but especially in that part of the country of America, um, there are, there are people that are drifting back and forth. There's a line, let's say an invisible line and above the line is you're living a lawful life. And below the line is you've drifted into crime and there's a moral or economic boundary that keeps some people in one place and other people in another and some people, especially like, okay, like the character Blackie um, or the guy who wanted to murder his children after getting their head rights. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Those people are just like, I'll do a crime if it's convenient. Um, and some people are, they'll do crimes if they're desperate. And I think Leo's character is somebody who's, he doesn't really have a moral compass. He clearly was up to some bad shit before he went to the war. Like he and his brother absolutely is implied to have maybe been like, you know, roughnecks, rowdy people, hell raising when they were younger. And although Byron is definitely portrayed to be a lot more cunning and a lot more uh, dangerous. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I think every time that Ernest walks in on William and Byron, Byron's already there because William would be like, I can tell you what we're up to. I got to talk to Ernest like this is all normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the thing is, he did start poisoning Lily with her insulin. And he, we never actually see the scene where De Niro and, and Byron convince him to do this. We see all the nudge, nudge, wink, winks, but we never actually see their conversation. The movie keeps it ambiguous, even though well, the no, fact is... They- they say like she went to Washington. Like we've got to slow her down. Like this is just oh, gonna we, slow her by down. that point. Yes, but we already they were already poisoning her before. They were that. already poisoning her. At that no, because they yeah. they say like from now on we'd like you to introduce this to you know you you you're giving her insulin. Like now we just want you to introduce this to it. Like that's I think there are other there with them when they start they were putting other things. We in the are, insulin. but I think there are other things. So what I read what I read into it was that the insulin was already contaminated before she went to Washington and then they gave her some kind of additional sedative or something Mm -hmm. after that. So I don't, again, uh, uh, it's, I think it's a little ambiguous, but it was already declining before that even happened. That just really accelerated what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the point where he becomes active against her. Yeah. Because previous to that, if they're like, here's your insulin and they've already poisoned it, he he's he might not even know. But the point where it's like, take this extra bottle, yeah, put it into her insulin so we can slow her down. That's when it's like, you know, again, it, he could even say to himself, like, 
well, you know, her sister was drunk and got herself into trouble, and like, you know, oh, these other guys are about to find out what we're doing, and that he would be can bad justify for us. It. And this is like yeah. the one thing where he can't justify it because he understands, or at least is a witness to, how he is harming her. And there's a reason that she is willing to f- keep with him up until the point that he just doesn't admit that that's what he was fucking doing. I think I, okay. I think he does. Um, I don't think he is active in what he thinks is harm with her. And I'm not justifying him. I think, I think there's a lot of denial here, but his, um, in his mind, it's like, I, it's, it's paternalistic. I'm protecting her from herself. I'm protecting her from heart continuing to, um, exert herself. I'm helping her find the Lord, you know, because she's going to die anyway. At that point in time, diabetes was basically a death sentence. So Mm. uh, I can see how Hale is kind of able to, uh, you know, to treat him like a piece of dough, you know, just like really get in there and, and, and get into his head like that. Whether that's how the real Ernest responded, I don't know, but this version of him is such adult and is mm-hmm. so pliable that he not only can he um, be manipulated by, by other stronger, more charismatic personalities, but he is also doing a lot of manipulating of his, of himself. Right. I, I, I do wonder if, I do wonder if it would be better if he were played by a, a more age appropriate. For like the a younger guy. Actor. Yeah. yeah. Cause like you look at Leonardo DiCaprio and you're like, you're the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, you yeah. He's stabbed Daniel Day Lewis. Like you should know what's going on. But if you had like, who's the guy who plays Spider-Man? Tom Holland? Yeah. Tom Holland. Yeah. yeah. If you had him in there, you know, you might be able to be like, well, this kid's a fucking idiot. Like he's a small, he's a kid. You know, you might, you might be willing to give a little more of that. You know, I, I do my head cannon there. I, I don't disagree with you, by the way. My headcanon there is that, well, I would like everyone listening to this podcast to actually go and look up a pic, look up, you can find pictures of him online, of of, of a, a William King Hale. Uh, specifically, look for a picture of him taken in the year 1922. He was born in 1874. So in the photograph I'm referring to, he's 48 years old. And he looks about the same age as Robert De Niro. people lived hard and uh, you see pictures of world war one veterans people who were like 14 when they went or whatever 16 18 you see them in the mid-20s and they look old like the combat vets you know what i mean like like, teens in the 1980s looked goddamn old compared to what they look like today absolutely and i feel like gen z that's right (laughs) you babies yeah I, i feel like you uh you have a situation where he, you know, he, he, he was in the war, probably got, you know, Spanish flu at some point. Um, and he's probably also a dipshit who didn't live a very clean or, or healthy life before. He probably and had a every, traumatic brain injury or two. Yeah. Everybody smokes all the time. And uh, so that, yeah. that didn't bother me quite so much, although it, it, it was kind of like, these are all characters that are probably best all. You know, I can't remember how old Ernest was, but I think he's in his mid twenties, maybe as you just pointed out, mm-hmm. but somebody today who's that age is going to look so fresh faced and wonderful. It's, it's kind of like when you, when you see like, okay, Daisy Jones in the six, oh, it's supposed to take God. place in 1976. 
and everyone's the right kind of the right level of skinny, but they're the wrong kind of skinny. They all have like Pilates body. Right. They they, I've heard that. Body. Yeah, they're, but, they're all like, yeah. they, they all, these are all people who've seen a cell phone, I think is the way that people were talking yeah, about. There's, it. I, I have yeah. so many critiques of the visuals of that show, not. I never bothered not, to watch And it. also it's including bad. the fact that the, the, the aging in that show is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but whatever, um, whatever they do to make, you know, Riley Keough, like, look like she's 50 or 60 years old is patently like you had a $2 budget. How do you compare it in your estimation to this is us, whatever they age up, um, um, uh, Mandy Moore. You know what? That's way better in my opinion. Okay. Like, and that's uh, saying a lot about Daisy Jones, I think. What about for all mankind? I haven't seen it. Oh, it's really good. But like every season is a different decade. And so like Joel Kinnaman has aged like 25 years in the course of the show. Oh, that's like Outlander yeah. where there's, you know, these 30 something actors are playing people in their 60s who have grandchildren. Right. Shouldn't and... they be fucking dead by now? Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, that's kind of Outlander. <laughs> I think For All Mankind actually does it pretty well. But their next one is going to really test it because I think they're jumping like into the new millennium now. And I'm just like, guys, oh, come on. It's a really great show, though. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I and I can understand to get back to the movie we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, I can understand. Like, oh, we should center the the lives of the the Osage people. I do worry that in this case, like that would I don't I don't even know the right way to put it. Like, there's certain people who say like slave narratives need to stop because it's consistently like. We're we're just feeling bad for this person who appears to have no agency until someone either comes and rescues them or they die and their suffering is over. Yeah. And I worry that that would be what would happen here because that that's kind of like what happened here. And, and It would be like more misery porn. Right. It would be like, oh, this poor saintly Osage woman. Like, whoa, whoa, I can't wait for the, you know, 1920s appropriately multi-ethnic FBI to come and save her. Like, and in, in this case, instead of her being like, uh, uh, what's that movie? Changeling with uh, Angelina Jolie, where she's just like mm. abused a whole yeah. bunch. Like, instead of that, it, you know, if we, if we had that perspective, you'd be like, oh, and here's the evil and inscrutable Ernest. Like, what's his thought process? Like, is he a Cary Grant and suspicion type or is he like, a, but like getting to think- just stick with him is you get to see this like pathetic and I almost hesitate to say the word evil for him because it's like, he's almost too. Well, he's the banality of that. evil. Right. But, yeah. I, but like evil sounds like sexy and cool and like Sam Smith at the Grammys or whatever. And this guy's <laughs> just like a wicked fucking idiot. Like yeah. he's. Well, and, the, isn't that like the heart of most quote unquote evil? Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like getting to this movie punctures the cool, like, uh, like that's why I didn't even want to call him a con man, because a con man it wears mm-hmm. a fedora and snaps and swaps a briefcase. <laughs> and and plans. Hair. Like, right. con man plans. And this well, and guy... Robert De Niro's the con man, obviously. Right. Yes. And, he's, and he is so cartoonishly evil that he doesn't even come off as cool. He comes off as a manipulative dick. Like... Well, and, and so this, to sort of, I think you're, what you just laid out is very valid. And I think Debra Jacobs breakdown mm-hmm. of what she didn't mm-hmm. like about the movie. Um, I tend to agree with most of what she was saying, 
Um, I'm not one of those people. Now, I say this as a a white guy of Christian background. I'm an atheist, but I mean, you know, I well, I, I could not possibly <laughs> be. Wait a second. Why, no, why no, did I Robin mean, say duh? Well, I'm not Jewish. It's just like mad atheist vibes. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. No, oh, okay, I'm not. Sure. I'm not Jewish, and 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 I just want to say I realize that I'm speaking from a position where the entire world kind of like aims its 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 attention at me. Um, so what I say, what I'm about to say, I want to be clear that I, I, I'm not dismissing this. I, my, my default tends to be, I don't think that presentation or portrayal of something is the same thing as endorsement. Right. I mm-hmm. think that some things, no matter, even if they're terrible, need to be portrayed because that's the only way a lot of people are even going to learn they exist. I think that um, it's important to not think that we can forget about them or that we can like, prevent them from happening if we just assume they don't exist. And I don't think we should assume that any anything that we tell about it is by default going to necessarily re-traumatize. That said, I want to be clear, obviously you need to be listening to people who might be re-traumatized and get their perspective. In this case, I think there's a way that you could get into, like make, say, Molly, the main character of the story, without it having to just be like trauma. There's plenty of dramas that have a lot of tragedy in them. Um, that find a way to end on a hopeful note. And there's plenty of historical dramas where you're emphasizing people who don't say, get to do the sexy things like carry the guns and make the arrest. They're just normal people surviving. Um, I think that, I think that you could tell a story that's about like this community in the middle of rural Oklahoma and the horrible racist circumstances they're living under and what it's like to be a member of, of that community. And, you know, and, and, make Osage voices uh, in, in a way that treats them mundane, normal people. You know what I mean? Um, maybe we get a little more detail. So what's the name of, of the guy that was uh, Molly's ex-boyfriend? The, the person that... Oh, Nero, Henry. Henry, thank you. Um, like, I would have loved to have spent some time with Henry as a character. Like, yeah, he was sort of introduced kind of like... As to die. Random for, yeah, exactly. Well, he was, yeah. he was the guy who drove... Ernest to the that's the correct ranch, yeah right? yeah he was a, yeah he's but, he's throughout the movie. Uh, last name Rowan what's up yeah he I just did uh, me I mean <laughs> so I'm I've got I've got a a not insignificant percentage of indigenous blood in me so like who knows no but no my Rowan came entirely from Ireland <laughs> dope. <laughs> I know. I mean, the the name Rowan is Irish. I don't know how. I'd actually be curious just because of the overlap there. In fact, I also found out that because um, I did the I did the not twenty three and Me, but Ancestry, because yeah. like I'm trying to figure out what my grandfather was hiding. Long story. Um, <laughs> and I found Thanks. out that there, like my my um, DNA comes from an area where there was an indigenous people called the Cora, which unknowingly is what I named my daughter. So like little synchronicities like that, I find to be very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things sort of, I'm piggy, I'm sort of du- like jumping off what you just said. Cause I, and again, I'm not claiming to be speaking for the native community at all. Definitely. Don't oh, yeah, me neither. Me. No, <laughs> go, go read. But there is a, a debate right now about tribal membership um, in, mm-hmm. amongst native peoples, because like the introduction of this idea of like blood quantum, you know, like how much yeah. blood you have, it's very controversial within that community and the way yeah. that, the regime that was imposed on them when they were ultimately corralled into Oklahoma really emphasized a lot of that stuff. And I feel like you could do, it doesn't, it's not a horror movie exactly, 
I wouldn't want it to be a horror movie, but I think you could mm -hmm. tell the story of that community, go through their lives, do their do the drama of their interpersonal lives, and the the disappearances start happening. By the way, um, they've only confirmed maybe forty five to sixty. There are estimates that hundreds might have been killed because there was a lot of suspicious accidental deaths. Yeah. Right. Um, that they've gone back. It's sort of the same thing. Like officially, I think only eighty people died in the Tulsa massacre. I'm of the opinion that the higher estimates closer to like 500 are probably more correct. Mm. Um, in any case, I think there's ways that you could do it. And you could have, for instance, make the, make the, the story about the struggle for them to just get someone to pay attention. Like the trip they take to Washington DC could have been a whole act of the movie. Like we could have spent some time in their experience, just trying to get people to stop being indifferent to them. We could have, seen meanwhile her relationship with 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 uh, Ernest through her eyes and by all accounts he's treating her really nice he's wonderful to her we get to see why she loves him so much it might hit more of a gut punch later when we find out what a piece of shit he is um on the other hand if we're going to do it like the the way he did it which in my opinion is sort of like a cross between goodfellas and and the departed right and i feel like leo's arc is he became the mask he goes undercover to do the thing and then he falls in love with the mark and it's a huge thing for him. Well, like and, Donnie Brasco. I mean, I, I just, I just fundamentally disagree that that was the arc that his character took. Like, I don't think that he went undercover. I think his, I think his, his uh, it's fucking uncle played so ambiguously. Either both of us could be right about this. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I disagree with you. I think the evidence. I think the movie itself supports both of our conclusions. I, and you're a bad person. I hate you. Well, that's fine. I get that a lot. I'm I'm trying to be a politician. I'm going to get a shit ton of that. No, I mean like I I just I just can't see it the way that you see it so hard right. that I find it difficult to even accept the premise that the movie is ambiguous to that point. I think there's other things it is ambiguous about. Um I just think that like it's very difficult for me to see any way to read this where Ernest is like I'm going to go out and find me an Osage woman to marry like what like it it's it like people in my audience were laughing at how thick he was oh he's a dummy regarding sure. like his 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 his, his uh, uncle saying like you thought about marrying one of them he's like oh like, you know maybe like you, you think she likes me and his uncle's like yeah you should like do it you should check it out he's like oh yeah well i'd love I to that like, sounds great i think i would like to have seen the actual process by which he gets fully on board with the scheme uh, the fact that we allied most of that in the film, I found pretty frustrating. Is he though? That's I the, mean, that's isn't the that thing. the, art, the that's whole the thing is that annoying he, aspect about him is that he's I don't even these piecemeal jobs doesn't see the big picture, even though his uncle is pretty like obvious about well, what the big picture is. Well, he's right. he's organizing or committing some of the biggest murders that are part of the scheme. Oh, but he's and, terrible at it. <laughs> Well, obviously, they're all terrible. They're like rednecks, right? Like, you're just going to, like, Jim Bob down the street and be like, hey, Jim Bob, want to make some five well, bucks? That's offensive I got a to rednecks. Uh, uh, you know what? Rednecks um, are, are fine and industrious people. You're talking about hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, we don't have hills in Oklahoma. <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I mean, we have a little bit. No, we don't have hillbillies in Oklahoma. That's 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 Virginia. We've got rednecks. Um, yeah, but the, uh, I, I feel like, okay, I'm going to use a metaphor and apologies. I'll try to make this brief. Have you guys seen the 2002 crime thriller, Dark Blue? No. No. Is that with Colin Farrell? Is, no, it's uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, and right? Scott yeah. Speedman. 
and Brennan like Gleason. The Rodney King riots are correct. Part of that, right? Right. Yeah. It takes place during April of 1992. The climax of the film is during the riot. And I bring this up because there is a whole thing in the in the movie where like there are a series of robberies being per- being uh, undertaken. And like 10 minutes into the movie, we find out that the, the robbers work for the guy who is like Kurt Russell's character's mentor in the LAPD. We find this out early. And the rest of the movie, we see him doing obviously shady shit in front of Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell refusing to believe the evidence of his eyes and constantly being like, this sleazy guy that's constantly lying couldn't possibly be evil. And we, the audience, found out an hour <laughs> earlier that he's the bad guy. And it becomes increasingly frustrated frustrating that uh, Kurt Russell's character takes so long to get there. Um, it would have worked better if they kept that reveal a lot longer, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and I feel like something very similar happens in this movie. I think I would have been less frustrated with the last hour of the movie had either we really gotten in-depth into their crimes or had it been kept a level of distance from them so we never truly know them until all the secrets start spilling out. I guess, but to uh, me that that makes it more of a thriller and this movie doesn't want to be a thriller. Like like I said, I, this oh, movie sure. seems to actively be attempting to not thrill you and not entertain you to an extent. But then again, it's also got a lot of very good sequences and some humor and stuff. I do want to just, while we're on the, the dark blue tangent, uh-huh. this movie is streaming on HBO Max. Um, so you won't dr- be able to watch it. <laughs> It is written by James Elroy and David Ayer. Yep. And stars Kurt Russell, Scott Speedman, and Ving Rames. Yep. I need, I'm going to watch this tonight. <laughs> it's got an incredible cast, and it's actually, it's got some good stuff in it. It's just that particular element of it. I spend the entire movie going, Kurt, come on, man. He's obviously awful. <laughs> it's got come Dash Meehawk, Brendan Gleeson, uh-huh. Jonathan Banks. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it, it's not good, but it's a good example of like very watchable early 2000s cinema. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Um, I feel, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, like, I, I can understand what you're saying in terms of, but I just feel like that makes the movie an entertainment and to go like full all the way to the end spoilers, like the movie almost spits in your eye for wanting entertainment. Because of that radio play that we're witness to. At the I mean, end. I, I, that radio play was one of the most, I almost fell out of my chair laughing when that starts. Like of all the times, like, I don't, I think, I don't think it made the point that I think it was clearly trying to make. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I think you're right. that the intent there was to make a comment of some kind on the turning into entertainment, the violence, but the fact that they did it as an old timey radio show I um, loved that. Oh, I loved oh, I it hated too. It. Yeah, no. I, that's like one of the most perfect epilogues I've ever Dude, seen. Dude, I, I was, I was like, this movie's fine. This movie's all right. And then when that happened, I was like, this movie might be genius. Uh, I kind of had a similar thing where, but not so much like this movie's fine. But I was like, this movie, this movie fucks. This movie, fu- wow, this movie fucks. I just came it's- like a geyser. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. Like- it's, first of all, like an that, oil spill. First of all, you Jesus. need to go to a doctor if that happened to you. Um, you your penis might have been destroyed in the in the event. Oh yeah, uh, it feels like I got my balls got turned inside out. All right, I'm cutting all this. This is gross. <laughs> Jesus. 
keep the um, grotesque. We we talk about cum too much on this podcast. Have I said that recently? I mean, <laughs> come up. <laughs> God damn it, Robin. I just feel like uh, um, if ever there was a moment, if you're going to do that bit, if ever there was a moment to maybe have some of the actors uh, who had, you could do the same bit and maybe instead of having Martin Scorsese come out, and give that epilogue, maybe have Lily Gladstone's character come out and give that epilogue, give that like final sort of like radio play, or playing a different character, maybe not Lily Gladstone, maybe not Molly, maybe have Lily Gladstone play mm. a different character. Maybe, since we're obviously doing a radio play that never actually happened. Um, it was, it was very Asteroid City. Oh my God, I rewatched Asteroid City last night. Oh no. I forgot that even the play of Asteroid City within the movie Asteroid City is a fake play. What? That's the whole thing is that it's a fake, another fake thing. Right. I just, I had forgotten like how much, how even the, um even the TV show was like, Hey, the point of this TV show is to show you how a play works. So we've invented a fake play that mm, we're also yeah. going to give a fake history to while also showing you what the play would have been. Yeah. I love that movie even more now. I think I probably knew that when I saw it the first time, but it is an aspect that I forgot because I got so tangled up in the narrative of the movie that is the play that is a fake play that is on a TV show. You know, I do want to be clear that the final scene uh, in this film, it's, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. The guy knows how to tell somebody to point the camera in the right direction. He knows how to pace things. He's obviously very good. Um, I just, I found it so, uh, totally off-putting and it might be because i have this problem where i start trying to like make everything fit together like a puzzle which is not always the best way to experience a movie <laughs> but i will i will say this i think if any movie ever needed to have exposition uh, ex- ex- exposition that uh explains what the actual context is this is the movie there needed to be a in-depth explanation of what the law was concerning native rights in Oklahoma in 1921. I think I, I do agree with you there. I feel like I could have handled like one or two scenes because where she's like, you know, Molly incompetent, you know, I need 300 bucks. Yeah. Like they were like, yeah, I could have handled like a little bit more fully functioning exposition there. Like to some extent, I appreciate when a movie's like, you'll get this through context. And I think I did. Because, like, everything you said, I wasn't like, oh, shit, that's what that was about. But at the same time, like, it might have been nice for a character to say, like, it's fucked up that the government's doing this shit to us. You don't even have to have a character say it's fucked up. You can have a character think it's a good thing. I mean, this is taking place in an era where people were awful. You know, we don't have to have... (laughs) Well, yeah, so if your white character said it, they'd be like, it's great. And if an Osage character said it, they might say, I hate this. Yeah, they might be like, this is frustrating because they don't want to get murdered for saying they hate it. You know? Well, I mean, if they're uh, aside with one of their Osage friends talking at right, exactly. Osage, then they could say Yeah, it. just there were a couple of opportunities that this movie really could have spent, or it could have done one of Martin Scorsese's trademark, like, we're going to spend five seconds to have somebody explain this to you with voiceover narration. There, there were, it just the fact that it didn't do it, and I think the reason that I objected so much to that omission is because this is literally forgotten history. I know mm-hmm. that the book was a bestseller, not that many people read it. I mean, a lot of people read it for who read books, but like it didn't become like a pop culture turn touchstone. It's similar to how weirdly enough until Watchmen, uh, the Tulsa massacre was just something that like, 
I bored like obviously lots of black scholars in this country and and historians were raising the alarm for decades. I'm not taking credit. I just mean I encountered a lot of people who had never heard of it right. in my life. Um, yeah, I knew and, about it. I don't even know how or why, in all honesty. I, I feel like I read something once about it alongside with like um, the 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 building of the stadium in Los Angeles that like oh, yeah, completely destroyed. Yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, he's talking about the building of Dodger Stadium. Uh, brief aside, it's really fucked up. Uh, basically, <laughs> the mayor of Los Angeles, from who was mayor until 1952, took advantage of the Fair Housing Act to get a bunch of money from the government that they were going to use to build affordable housing. And they picked as the site of the affordable housing this place called Chavez Ravine, which was a mostly Latino neighborhood at the time. They used eminent domain to start trying to take how to take the land and build the things. Well, in 1952, this mayor who was himself not that great of a guy lost and his replacement was another, was the same. They were both Republicans. LA, by the way, was a heavily Republican city at the time. I'm not casting aspersions. It's just the truth. Although I am casting aspersions. <laughs> Wink. But um, no, um, the, the guy who took over, it's 1952. It's the height of the Red Scare and the Republican Party in California is especially weird about stuff like that. And so the, the mayor that takes over sends the money back to the government and uh, we're not going to build affordable housing. That's commie stuff. But the eminent domain is still sort of in progress. And so at that point they become really keen on attracting a baseball team to Los Angeles. And so the Dodgers owner of course was mad at the city of New York. And so LA convinced him to come out here. And so over the course of the 1950s, they basically um, through a combination of force police force, by the way, um, and doing shit like offering somebody $100,000 on one day and the next day $50,000. And then the next day, we'll give you $20,000. Just keep lowering the, lowering the amount of money they're willing to offer people for their eminent domain to create panic, to make mm -hmm. people more willing to sell. And finally, they had to forcibly evict people. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty fucked up. Yeah. So there you go. That's the history of the Dodgers. That's why you shouldn't love them. I'm kidding. The Dodgers are a good team. Well, no, they I left, prefer the they Dodgers when they were in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. There's still a lot of hurt feelings. Um, we are New Yorkers. Hell yeah. This is why my dad never had like a, a baseball team that he loved. Like when we, we when he moved to Maryland, it was uh, the Orioles. Now that he lives in Houston, it's the Astros. But oh. he'll always love and hate that he loves the Jets. <laughs> I, had a, I have a friend who uh, worked for the Orioles and then moved straight to the uh, Astros. And it's still there. Damn. I have no thoughts about that because baseball is one of the big uh, blank spots in my head. I think you said one of the biggest scams of all time. No, 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 no. But baseball, if you enjoy baseball, that's great. I'm happy for you. I can't stand it. That's not a criticism of it as a sport. It's just I cannot get into it for the life of me. I'm just going to criticize sport. <laughs> like, shruggy. I don't know. I'm I'm a Clippers season ticket holder, so I'm a glutton for punishment, and I love losers, and I love basketball. Sports are good, and you're wrong, Robin. How I was going to say, is that basketballs? Oh, God, ouch. Yes, I know what you were making a joke, and it was a joke that worked on two levels, and I'm very appreciative of how great that was. <laughs> Beautiful. And meanwhile, back to Oklahoma and the horrible things that were happening there. These are forgotten history, um, things that people don't realize happened. And they've heard about it and they don't know a lot about it. And even when there's a best-selling book, maybe they're not sure where to begin. And I feel like when you're telling people a story that involves history that has been literally suppressed, it's important 
that you at least give them some context to walk out of the story having understood precise because there's a feeling I, I worry sometimes you watch movies that are set in the past and it's like well if the romans came into my village and tried to turn me into a slave in the silver mines i would have revolted it's like you definitely wouldn't you, <laughs> yeah, already, yeah. you know what i mean you definitely would have been murdered already because they wouldn't have let you be a slave um it's it's that kind of thing where i feel like um you have to you have to just make it so clear like they basically were um doing everything they could during this period to rob them of their culture, their religion, their wealth, even their ethnic identity. Um, and, uh, and the efforts that the Osage people had to do to draw attention to their problem, I think is the more compelling story for me. That's just me. I will shut up now. How, um, how do you rate the movie? Like what's your rating system? Oh God, I got asked this question earlier today by a colleague. Um, and what I said to her was, I don't think it's the kind of movie that you like Scorsese doesn't make movies that lend themselves to rating systems. Every, He's, every filmmaker makes a movie that is, that lends itself to rating systems. I, mean, I don't I, buy that. I, I, I no am one the is above it. I'm the world's worst rater. So like, please don't ask me this question. <laughs> I'm going to, I think he's too good at the basic stuff that goes into making a movie that it, makes it it's like i can't say it's five out of ten i hated this i thought this movie this movie frustrated and disappointed me um i feel like in the end it failed it failed to really dive into the topic in a satisfying or informative way i feel like it did a disservice to its osage characters especially to molly um but everyone in it is great it looked every single shot looked fantastic there's not a single bad performance in this movie um there's weird little details that he throws in that you're like that itself could have been an entire hour long thing. If the, if this had been like a mini series instead, um, I got nothing. It's a five out of, it's, I don't know, like 50, 50. Um, I don't, I think it's so uh, two out of four, two out of four. So Why what's not? weird yeah. about that okay. is I feel like you, what you need to do is you need to do the thing that like tech sites do where like they have a rating, but it's broken down into like a rubric it's like Ugh. build is eight out of ten and like functionality is seven yeah, out but of the ten problem, and... the problem with that stuff and i used to have to do that when i wrote about video games is that it divorces the video game from cultural context i mm -hmm. one of the things that you get a lot of pushback in in video game writing um if you're working for one of the sites that hasn't been killed is that the there's a subset of the video game community that will freak out on you if you try to examine a game in any kind of cultural context, or if you call out problem. Now, it's probably better because it depends it's on the supposed side. to be in a vacuum. It's just a game. Yeah, there's a lot of right wingers who play video games and they freak out whenever someone points out, "Hey, this game has some, you know, uh, problematic tropes, maybe." Or you want to talk about the fact that like it exists in a cultural context. Yeah, you but know, is it it's fun? Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's like <laughs> all of those are questions you have to sort of examine because it's a work of art. And, and, um, I, so yeah, I realize I'm being, I, I wouldn't have a score at the end of my, I would prefer not to have a score at the end of a review. Um, I'd rather be able to say, well, this game is technically great to play, but it's got dog shit writing and one of the worst endings I've ever experienced. And side oh, like the last of us or mass effect three, uh, uh, which, no, which is well, a game. Yeah. Mass yeah. effect three. That is the one that I was like, Oh, I hated that. Yeah, it's terrible. And I'm, and I'm a believer that I don't care how good a, a bad ending, in my opinion, is a bad story. Like that's the one thing you have to stick. The last thing that people are going to remember when they 
pause the game or when they walk out of the movie theater or when they turn off the television is what happened at the very end. If you, if you fuck that up, you fuck the story up. Um, and I can't even say that that's the case with, with killers of the flower and moon because it's, it's competent, you know? Well, so um, <laughs> I, you, my mother agrees with you. My mother, I remember was watching fight club and like got to the end and was like, if it didn't have that ending, I would, she, the person who told her to watch it was her friend, Tara. And yeah. she said, if it weren't for that ending, I would never talk to Tara again. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Spike Club's a perfect example. The ending, like, puts everything in context in right. such a beautiful way. And you're just um, like, oh, okay, all right. I guess I can accept this. I, and I think, you know, to go back to the ending of this movie, I think that this ending takes this from, like, a four to a five for me. Right. Like, it's, it is, like, when it goes is it there. Really a five for you? What? Is it a five? Uh, uh, stars? Yeah, out of five. Out of five? Uh, I don't know. It's like a four and a half to four and three quarters or... I don't know. Cause well, you said same... it went from a four to a five. That I know. Background to a four. I don't know. I'm bad at, I'm bad at stuff. Yeah, you're bad. My, you're bad. You're terrible. I don't know what my ratings are. Don't vote this for is Brian. When I, write a rate, when I write a review for the film stage, I write the review and then I tell Jordan, do what you want with this. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't I, know. I feel like I rate a movie from the minute it starts and then it's like it either goes up or down. Oh, so you're like Jerry Seinfeld with the dollar bills on the table. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just quantif I'm quantitatively oriented. Yes. I just um, need to put I everything into a box. Agree with that. That is not how my brain works. Um, yeah, because you're a little literature boy and like you like words. Oh, and you're what are you like a shape rotator? <laughs> yeah, I'm an engineer. <laughs> um <laughs> both of you are terrible and wrong and I hate you. That's yeah fine. we are. I mean you yeah, should. Good. But yeah, I mean, like that whole part where and it's it's getting into like the entertainment and the propaganda because yeah. it's like a story by the FBI glorifying the FBI. And yeah, like, that's there's a point where he says like like Ernest Burkhart, who is uh, in this movie, apparently, according to the end of this movie that I assume is probably true, like lived in a trailer with his brother when he got out of prison. Yeah. And um. They have him say like, "Hey, you want to pass me a match for my lucky strike?" Yeah, that was a, that, that, like that was a good moment where it's like the sponsorship gets in there, you know. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I, and I loved Scorsese walking out and and giving that statement and um, like saying like, you know, her 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 obituary didn't even mention the murders, like because she lived that that was not the only thing in her life. There were other right. things about her, and um. Yeah, I, I liked him stepping out and doing that. I thought that was a an intelligent use of himself in a movie. And I don't know if he's ever he's his I guess his voice has come up. His voice was a couple times in this movie too. Then oh man, I'm gonna have to after this is after this recording's over, I'm going to fall down the rabbit hole of every time he's inserted himself in some form or another. I feel like he's in a scene in the Last Temptation of Christ. That, that's just me feeling it. Uh, I'll let the world know. It was that his hands was driving the, the nails in. <laughs> um, I know that he. I know that his voice is in bringing out the dead. He's one yeah. of the uh, the dispatchers. I love how we're we're describing his voice as this like, you know, incredible gravitas. Like the man just sounds like a little a little rat talking. 
Oh I yeah, no, him. he's he is a he is a, a New York pizza rat that has come to life <laughs> in like the most absolute lovable way. I can like, say that because I'm part Italian. Yep. Oh. <laughs> and he loves he, <laughs> you pizza rats Italian. He gets so like amped up when he's talking about movies. You can just sit and like watch. Right. You know, Robin, I you just asked if a New York pizza rat is Italian. <laughs> yeah, it's in New York and it loves pizza. Of course, it's Italian. Uh, True. Anyway, we all mean. are Italian uh, by osmosis. When we're yeah. All right, but it also could be Japanese. Let's show some respect to the denizens <laughs> of the sewer, okay? <laughs> Very yes, true. They do love is... their pizza. That's right. Dun, 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 dun. We will not be ignoring the legacy of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. On oh, my, my God. Watch. By this point, though, they're like in their 40s, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, um, in the new movie, they are definitely Generation Z. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't watch that movie then. I loved that movie. I thought it was great. Also, didn't they like? Never mind. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, of turtles, Leonardo DiCaprio. Let me ask, <laughs> let, me ask let me ask you a question because my wife and I were were talking about this. I one of the things I found frustrating about the last hours, I, I really do feel like at this point it really turned into a Oscar. Uh, sum up real for De Niro and for Leo, like lots yeah. of close-ups right on their face. And this is where I feel like um, uh, Lily Gladstone kind of starts to disappear a little bit from the narrative. Like it becomes more about oh, suddenly. Well, she's just suddenly like in her sick bed, sweating to death. Well, so that's, yeah. that's, but that's like the middle hour. Like the last hour is when she comes back into her power and starts fucking shit up. I mean, that's like the like last, last 20, 20 minutes. minutes. Well, I yeah, have no, like I didn't look at minutes. my watch, so I have no idea when anything. Sorry, happens. we're just so good at telling time. Yeah, you two are just natural time tellers, little mm-hmm. metronomes in your brains. That's right. I I was looking at my clock occasionally, <laughs> but not, not out of boredom. I, I just, I'm, I'm a fidgety person. I kind of want to know, okay. Yeah, I'm such a fidget. Yeah. I it know drives my husband crazy. Exactly. And me too. How dare you? <laughs> Your husband, yeah. Speaking, of, okay, so I just want to say one thing that one line in this movie that I really loved is at the very beginning when Robert De Niro is sort of, you know, interrogating his nephew, Leo. Yeah. And he's asking, you know, what kind of women are you into? And Leo goes, like, a lot of the heavy ones. Yeah. Oh, the ones that smell good with the salt. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's me. <laughs> I smell good. I'm, I'm a heavy one good. <laughs> it's anyway, a, I just thought that perfectly described my husband. You know what? If I ever meet Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm going to say thank you for giving a tribute to my friend Robin. And that's yes. appreciated. <laughs> that I was... just felt so beloved and cherished. And yeah, then that I was love great representation. Where, where Lily Gladstone is like fully like, you know, putting... Um, a syringe in her stomach and her stomach is like pinch an inch. And I, again, I felt so seen. Yeah. I was, uh, I was pleased. Uh, I'm repeating the same thing you said earlier, Robin. I think it's great that this movie had uh, people in it. Everyone looked weather beaten and real and living and non-glamorized. I thought that it's, it's, been so long since I've seen people sweat that much in a major movie with a $200 million budget <laughs> where the sweat's not related to combat with a giant robot. It was such a, that was just a refreshing thing by itself. Yeah. But you, that is not to say that Lily Gladstone is not a stunningly beautiful woman because oh, she yeah. is. She's yeah, got a I don't, great face. 
I like that's such a low <laughs> that's it, period. Rent. It's like such a low rent like thing to say as a critic, but man, like she's got a great face. She's got, well, and I, they, you know, I say this with all the respect in the world, a, a fucking fantastic wardrobe of blankets. Like, yeah, okay. it, that sounds very I, I glib, this, but legitimately, yeah. this movie, I was just like, these goddamn blankets are awesome. And no, but the, the costuming really was really incredible. I yeah. loved the production design. I mean, you know, I'm a little Oscar bitch. So like, I am all <laughs> like, yes, you go get your awards. Like you, you make that $200 million count. Um, I was, is she, is she getting tipped as lead or as supporting? Uh, good question. So the last I heard was that there had been rumors that she was going to go for lead. And I do think that, you know, if she does end up going for supporting, she will have had more technical time on screen than some leading actresses who won the Oscar. But then I heard that was backtracked. So I still think it's currently supporting, but Ross may have more updates. No, but you, you literally that you what you just said is all I know. Okay. I I think that um, they would be wandering in, and I don't I don't mean to say that it would be illegitimate to nominate her for best actress. I think she's mm-hmm. magnetic. Um, I do think that uh, I wish that she had had as prominent a role in terms of her character's portrayal in her life all the things i've already said in this this episode yeah like a more um, uh emotional centeredness that she doesn't have i felt so remote from her this this is just a vibe i felt like whenever the camera's looking at leo or at robert de niro we the audience are looking at leo or robert de niro whenever the camera was looking at lily gladstone i felt like i was looking at her through Leo's eyes or through Robert De Niro's eyes. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so it's frustrating. She will deserve to be nominated for Best Actress. She will deserve to be nominated for Best Supporting Actress, although she should be nominated for Best Actress. But I think- I agree, but I don't think it's category fraud if she does go to supporting because her character is framed as a supporting role. Yeah, and I I feel like uh, um, you're not wrong there. I just- it would be such a a bummer on so many levels if the most prominent female role in the movie is, it just ends up being you know supporting actress rather than actress. I agree. Yeah, this... I mean, on the some on one hand, I do want her to go for supporting because I think she'll be a shoe in for the win. Right. Um. So I'm just thinking straight from like strategy. Then I don't know, like ethical, you know, <laughs> point of view. Like I'm just like, let's go for the win, baby. Yeah, and and and, and by the way, I think that if if this thing I'm about to describe were to happen, there would be absolute justification for it. I think that a lot of people would get really mad. They would feel like she was being relegated um, to an inferior award if they nominated her for supporting as a yeah, best actress. My 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 I don't know, my completely worthless uh, addition to this is that she should be she's an actress in this. She is a lead actress. She is a yeah, co-lead is. in this movie. It's her and it's Leonardo DiCaprio, and everyone else is supporting. Yeah, there's no other I, way I, to look at it. I think that if because they she's put the romantic her, lead, she's not only the romantic. She's also like the whole fulcrum point of the entire movie. Like she is everything. Well, she and she that is, gets me to the frustration. She's she's the, a MacGuffin. Like she's just a MacGuffin. Mm. Uh, no, I think I, I think no the the emotional core between yeah. her and Ernest yeah, that's fair. makes her more than a MacGuffin. Like it's not like she's. Uh, the the lady in the lady killers i don't know okay, i haven't seen that movie i don't know why i thought of that first. she's at the i guess what i'm really trying to say is she's at the center of every single part of this story she is 
narratively speaking, the most important character in the movie. Yes. And I am extremely frustrated that of the of the main characters of this movie, she's the one I know I feel like I know the least about at the end of the movie. I I can't help you with that, but I don't feel the same. <laughs> Go to hell then. I no. Um I am a Catholic in good standing. I will not be going to hell. Are you sure? Is it because of your indulgences? No, we don't do that anymore. We they have all that stuff in though. the Middle Ages. Okay, Popester. <laughs> I am a papist. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, Which that's is, the word. <laughs> if I don't win the election, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it on the fact that I'm a Catholic. Maybe oh, you'll please. be the world's youngest pope. You could be the young pope. I could, the, <laughs> is that like the next one of those? Because there was the young pope, then there was the new pope. Do you think they do the youngest pope? What if I mean, they, they did need, the virgin pope? They need to do one where it's like one of those like like Disney movies from the seventies where a kid becomes president yes. for some reason. <laughs> they need to do that before the pope. Doesn't Steven Spielberg want to do that? Isn't that one of his? It's either what, Sp- kid pope Spielberg or Scorsese <laughs> has like a passion project movie where it's like there was once a really young pope and I would like to make that movie. I mean, that definitely sounds way more Scorsese speed. Yeah, no, that. Scorsese is the one who is publicly for his entire adult life grappled with his deeply held Catholic faith in every single movie he's ever made. Yeah. That's one yeah, of the reasons unlike I, I Steven love him. Spielberg. You don't think yes. Steven Spielberg grapples with the Catholic faith? <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that Jaws represents the serpent in the garden of Eden? Close Encounters of the Third Kind was really about the Trinity, if you think about it. Oh my God! Yeah, you could also argue. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this. Okay, this is kind of like my argument about the Tree of Life, which is that uh, (laughs) I don't think that you can disentangle aliens from the numinous. So there are elements of Close Encounters where you're like, this is actually a religious experience. I just. I I I love that (laughs) podcast where you were like, I just couldn't stop thinking of aliens. Yeah, huh? it's my it's my Roman Empire, which is also my Roman Empire. <laughs> the Roman Empire is my Roman Empire, but also aliens and Tree of Life are my Roman Empire. But just yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't know. I, I just fundamentally feel like we get a lot of Molly and her life. And I mean, like, you know, we, we spend a lot of time with her and her sisters and her mother, who's played by Tantu Cardinal. Yeah. Who is an incredible oh, yeah. actress who I yeah. have enjoyed greatly in uh, Stumptown and in Godless, which I recently started rewatching. Um, is that the Merritt Weaver? Yes, that is the Merritt Weaver and the Scoot McNary and the uh, that Scoot. woman from uh, Downton Abbey. Michelle Dockery. Michelle Dockery. Yeah. yeah. It's also got Jeff Daniels. And uh, would... that small kid that everyone likes. Uh, I, it, 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 Thomas Brody Sangster. He oh. is like a 30-something-year-old. Yeah, but he <laughs> looks like he's 17. Mm. So I, I want to add one more sort of tidbit, which is uh, I know I said that everybody in this movie, like it's a great cast of uggos, let's just say. <laughs> Please not don't. that they're they're really not others. I'm not going to agree with that assessment. It is. A I would great like cast to publicly look normal. I would like to I publicly to distance <laughs> myself from the statements made by yeah. Robin Barr related to the aesthetic beauty of the cast of, like, of Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm specifically thinking of the like 
49er looking guys you know like the oh yeah yeah oh yeah okay. the, the old sort of you know they just look smelly kind of men in this movie specifically but one man who does not look smelly and is totally beautiful and every time i saw him on screen i was like joff to the floor um was the actor and i'm trying to look him up but he plays uh the i guess the native oh you're talking about the guy uh, is it tatanka means I'm not sure because I'm trying to look up the guy's, like, the character's name and I'm not finding it. It's He's the John Wren. Thank you. W-R-E-N. Okay, I'm going to double check that. he is a tall, striking man. <laughs> I just, yeah. you know, I like men with that sort of body type. Um, how do you spell Wren? Like, how do you spell W? Men? I literally just spelled it out oh for God. you. W-R-E-N. Okay, well, some... <laughs> old man is showing up when i do that in image search so okay it's not working the actor's name is tatanka means okay that's what i'm looking up i thought you were on the imdb page i apologize oh no that man is like truly beautiful okay i just i was like i can't stop looking at this actor because he he just stands out from the other actors in some ways as being like a supermodel this gets into something that I feel that also a lingering frustration. There are a lot of these little, like that character in particular, uh, or Henry, these guys that like, I really want to know, give me more of this particular character. Yeah. Like, should this have been a mini series? Well, the, well yes. also that, that then do we pivot to, should this have been about the FBI? Like did David Grant have it right? I, I think that you, I mean, if you're, ba- if you're, uh, if you buying the rights to the book, and adapting the book, then yes, the argument can be made it should have been about the FBI. I don't. I would have liked to have learned more about that. I want to know how we got from so, Pinkertons to the so FBI. So what's what's interesting to me though is like again, I think this is another way that Scorsese punctures the kind of mythic quality of the conspiracy because it's not like the FBI rolls in and is like, oh, there's a codex and oh, we've got to like really pull at these threads and it's going to take us forever. They roll in and immediately are like, hey, Ernest. You're pretty obviously involved with all these people being dead. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it was I mean, like it's just kind of hard to believe Hale as this mastermind because he's so unctuous. But the, the I, thing is, the reason he was able to get away with, with it is because every single other white person in town who's powerful in is in on it. It's not a particularly impressive conspiracy. Yeah, because but forget it's... the conspiracy. This is a person that was that supposedly ingratiated himself with within the community, and people and people, you know, the Osage people supposedly saw him as a friend, saw him as a confidant or whatever. And obviously, that's the perspective of the film. But mm-hmm. you know, De Niro is so obviously slimy, and yeah. every line delivery is just dripping. Or oozing the sarcasm. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, as, I, if, as if as if this man could truly. I'm gonna say his, his, his sort of like okay. Texlahoma Tex accent was pretty good. No, I'm sure. I, I'm I'm not questioning that. It's the it's the sliminess, the slickness, the unctuousness, oleaginousness of of his line delivery. Where it's like, how could anybody in their right mind trust this? person no you're right it was like there's a whole lot of cartoonish about it he's like i'm just a poor country huckster none of y'all worry about my evil schemes i'm just gonna be here your friend okay i'm gonna do some evil over there 
I don't know. I, I was fine with it. Um, I, I know I sound like I'm <laughs> shitting on it. It wasn't that bad, but I'm just saying like for no, such a prominent fun. role, it, it could have been a little more subtle, the performance. And that's another yeah. reason why the, why the, why the film treating it as ambiguous was so frustrating because he wasn't being ambiguous. He was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was very muahaha. Yeah. But I think he was like that. I don't know. His, his dealings with the other people in town, I think he does have a gregariousness to him that people might be like, that's just, that's just King. But it's funny. Cause like literally Leonardo DiCaprio shows up and he's like, Hey, call me King. <laughs> and, and Leo is just like, yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I used to do that. That's how, like, my that uncle again. wants me to call him boss. Oh, <laughs> weird. Um, I had to look up oleaginousness, because that's a great word, and I love it. You're welcome. Rich in, covered with, or producing oil. Exaggeratedly and distastefully complimentary. Like, obsequious. I love that. Oleaginous. Oleaginous. That actually describes uh, the the vibe of some of those like real corrupt old time people. Well, I mean, some of the people in this movie were literally actually covered in oil. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So I know that Ross has a job yes. to get to. There is a hard out in the next three minutes. I would love to talk about this movie for another two hours. Yeah, this is <laughs> great. I, it's, I'm glad you thanks think for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming back to help rechristen us back into the ears of uh, our listening public. Yeah, welcome back, and I'm um, really proud of you guys for not descending into just like dueling, profane denunciations of each other. You really showed maturity. Yeah, I, we're growing. The the two months that we took off allowed us to remember why we uh why we fell in love in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> A single tear came down my cheek just now. Yes, yes. Um, now we need an epilogue as worthy as that radio play. <laughs> Welcome to Galaxy Theater. Anyway, uh, let's get out of here. Um, if you have thoughts about Killers of the Flower Moon that you'd like to send to us, podcast at filmstage.com. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the filmstage show to give us your money and talk to us in our Slack channel. And of course, you can reach out on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, just look for the filmstage show. Uh, Robin, what are we talking about next week? Priscilla. Woo, Priscilla. I'm excited. Um, can never talk enough about Elvis and Elvis-related peoples. Famously obscure figure, so. <laughs> yeah. Glad people are finally talking about Elvis Presley. <laughs> Good. Speaking of forgotten history that needs to be brought back up. <laughs> um, so that's going to be awesome. Uh, until then, um, don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial movie. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we uh, scream into their ears, let's start with our guest, Ross. Where can people find your work online? If you go to therap.com, that's W-A-R-P. Um, that's where almost everything I have. But if you are one of the special people on Blue Sky, I'm there under Ross A. Lincoln. Oh, shit. I'm a Blue Sky. Nice. I, I don't I don't think I've used it yet, but I know I'm there and I know I'm following at least three people. I only use the uh, other site now for work-related reasons. Otherwise, it's such a toxic cesspool that I just avoid it like the plague. Yeah, you don't want to follow me on Twitter. It's terrible. Didn't you literally <laughs> just follow me on Twitter? I did. Because, <laughs> I know. Because for work-related reasons. I'm going to interact with you personally on Blue Sky, but I'm just going to see what yes, you're find me on Blue Sky on and force me to start skeeting. I will. Oh. <laughs> Not flying. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And the rap, again, W-R-A-P, much like Ren, also with a W. W. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Robin Thank Barr. you guys. Had a great time. Robin Barr, um, yourself? Jesus, am I even still on Twitter? I'm in like know. a half-life. I'm in purgatory with Twitter. I, I tweet <laughs> only when I must. Um, I will get on Blue Sky at some point soon. But yeah, you can find me technically at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, I guess it's called X now, whatever the fuck. Um, I am also on Letterboxd uh, at the same name. Just as a reminder to folks, I rate things out of four stars. So I am not Boo. really mean. I I have the same feelings as everybody else. It just looks like I rate things much worse than they are. Um, <laughs> I You can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. I just did a huge project over the summer uh, where my um, where my esteemed uh, staff colleagues rated the 50 best television shows of the 21st century. Uh, from what I understand, is very controversial. But I uh, yeah, you didn't by... put Lost on that list. Of course, it's controversial. You know, maybe in the top 100. Ugh. I don't know. Whatever. Just saying, there are things I wish could have been on there. I'm sure the other folks feel the same way. Um, but that was a really fun project. And then um, I was featured on uh, TV's Top Five, the podcast, to talk about the process of that. So if you want to check that out, that was a really fun. Um, you know half hour of my time talking about that as well so definitely check it out and let us know what you think about all of our choices that you might think are terrible okay uh as for me you can find me on all of the social medias at brian j rowan because i have a very strong grip on my brand and i have absolutely no creativity when it comes to naming things um brianjrowan.com for all my personal stuff yes exactly (laughs) and of course you can find every episode of this here podcast and writings over at the film stage So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and tune in next time. I wish the night would let me